Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome along to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the only podcast in the world where I speak to bands and artists and musicians of all kinds about what they've done to get by. But be rest assured, legitimate and law-abiding vocations only. I'm so excited to have Ian Farmer to the show. Ian played bass in Modern Baseball for a, for a few years before Slaughter Beach Dog, which is the band he's in now with Jake Ewald, also from Modern Baseball. Their new record, At The Moon Base, came out the day before Christmas, and it's an absolutely phenomenal listen. Behind this, you're listening to a modern lay from the record, which I am just, my head is just spinning over. This is an amazing, amazing track. So go well. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't be shy to tell a friend that it exists. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just going to take this. Yeah, it's, it's Tracy. Have you listened to 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast? Because it's really good. You should listen to it. Yeah, sorry about that. Bit, bit rude, isn't it? But that is exactly the kind of camaraderie that I'm talking about. 
In fact, if you want your 101 part-time jobs recommendation to a friend on one of these intros, then get, get in touch. Send me your recommendation. Send me your voice note to a mate and I'll put it in the intro of a future episode. This could go horribly wrong, couldn't it? Anyway, back to business. Thank you to Signature Brew for being the official beer of a podcast. What does that mean? I'm not sure. But thank you for them. Go on, you can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk. If you live in the UK, you can get beers delivered directly to your door, which is something that I would suggest in these trying, unprecedented bellend times. And if you use the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off your order. All right, here's Ian Farmer from Slaughter Beach Dog and the Metal Shop Recording Studio in Philadelphia, United States, on 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast. So you're a business owner, which makes you a pretty excellent person to speak to for this podcast. So the Metal Shop started up when? The Metal Shop, we uh, first got the space in May of 2015. Um, and then we officially got it to a place. We, we, we spent about half a year building it up whenever we weren't on tour, which was not very often. Um, and we officially opened our doors in January of 2016. So that is around the time that we first started actually making records out of there, out of here. And, and how did it, how did it sort of, what was, what was your sort of journey? Was it a smooth journey of, of building it up and, and becoming, you know, like a business, like, you know, getting registered and tax registered, all that stuff? <laughs> well, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, because you have no we, tax. <laughs> well, we, we haven't, <laughs> we've been, you know, you're running a small business, especially one like this, you know, we haven't actually made any money. So we haven't owed the government any money, but we still have to file taxes every year. Because we we opened the business just around the time that or, you know, soon after Modern Baseball really got legit with these things. And Jake, um, who had, you know, taken care of these things with Modern Baseball, decided, OK, well, we're opening a business, so we need an LLC. And gave like he got us an LLC before we ever even opened our doors. So it was really funny when we had like basically no income to report, but we still had to file taxes. And there was even a year where we didn't even know we were supposed to. So we did. (laughs) And and you just kind of have to find these things out as you go. You know, you talk to an accountant, you're like, yeah, so, you know, this is the first time that we made X amount of money. And they're like, well, what about last year's taxes? And you're like, oh, well, we, you know, basically didn't make. A, you know, not even like net, like gross. We basically didn't even make a dime. And yeah. they're like, you still have to tell the government that you did that because you're on the books. I'm Giles Bitter Limited because I have to make myself a company to be paid for this last job that I did last year. And yep. it's the same. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing and I can't <laughs> afford an accountant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so Jake was the was the business guy in modern baseball. I guess before we get onto that, like I, I think I think before we became friends and before we like started hanging out and, and doing and you know we we made that great Cynics record Posse together and you mm-hmm. you're an excellent engineer and br- brilliant person to have around. I knew you'd be I knew you'd produced some of the early modern baseball stuff. Yeah, uh, it's funny. That's kind of how I joined the band. Um, I was thinking about it recently and I don't think that ever really clicked with me, but it, what do you mean? It didn't click with you. (laughs) Well, because we were basically, I mean, Jake and I and Eric, uh, were attached at the hip, um, our first year of college where we all met. Um, so it felt kind of just like an extension of that, but Jake and I were, incredibly eager to get into the studios any way we could. So we asked for special access and we were allowed, you know, in the shittiest studio, we were allowed to record there from 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. And it was like, great. You know, Jake and his friend Brendan, who I had hung out with like once or twice before, had this, you know, this band and they have a record that they're looking to make. So we can do this. And I had had, you know, not much more, but 
I had had a little bit of experience recording before. I had never like tracked any records or anything like that, but I interned at a local studio in the middle of New Jersey somewhere that didn't really do anything other than like hard rock bands and, you know, butt rock and stuff. Um, (laughs) It's an interesting time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And uh, so I came along and, you know, we we basically just spent at that point, they had actually tried to put together a live band where Eric um, who became our manager and, you know, he, he put out our first record also. He was actually the first drummer. And then our friend Ben, who also played in a band called Marietta, was playing bass. Um, but that didn't end up really working out. And Ben ended up leaving the band and they had to talk to Eric and be like, listen, I think you're probably more value to, valuable to us as like, a manager because you're really eager to you know do that kind of thing and that gets you excited and you know sean is is better at drums and has a van and you know we kind of have to ask him and so they did and um it, <laughs> it for me i just kind of i don't I don't even know how much it was talked about, but I just kind of fell into it because we were making the record. We were around each other all the time. You know, music was basically a hundred percent of what we were talking about anyway. And I had a bass. I had played bass in a band in high school. So um, I, you know, I just kind of started playing with them. And then next thing I know, you know, I'm actually part of the band and kind of same with Sean. He kind of fell into it also, but I think it's so magical. And I feel like you get this sense of it, even if you don't necessarily know it already with modern baseball is that not only were you smart, not only did you have lightning in the bottle from the first recordings, yeah, but you were just so young. Yeah. I, I guess we, I turned, I think I turned 19 while we were recording sports. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we were, yeah, it, it all happened very fast before we knew anything, before we knew what was happening. I mean, when that's the, you know, as everyone knows who, you know, has, you know, kind of ridden, you know, ridden something magical like that, you can't really see it for what it is at the time how how do you look back on that now having been able to like ruminate it and speak to your friends and family and whoever about it how does it how do you see it now it's it's really funny because at the time when it was happening basically i i i knew in my brain logically that this is you know this is once in a lifetime this is absolutely bonkers you know like this shit ain't happening ever again. And I also knew because I was such like a, an introvert music head growing up in high school um, or really kind of, you know, as long as I can remember, I just knew the trajectory band gets too big, too fast. It inevitably implodes. And I remember having a discussion with a friend coming home from our first tour or like our first full U.S. tour. And at that point, you know, we had already recorded You're Gonna Miss It All. Sports had blown the hell up out of nowhere. And um, we knew that we were totally on the up and up and up. And we packed out Golden Tea House. And it was, I think, at that show that I was talking to my friend, Mike. And I was just like, dude, I can tell, like, I know already this, who knows how long this is going to last. So I better just enjoy it and take it in now and be grateful for it. And then, you know, fast forward just a few years, I guess it was, you know, three years. And then uh, we were now having discussions of, well, I guess we kind of have to take a break from this. And I I, kind of saw it coming, but even when it did, I had no idea. And now looking back on it, it's kind of like, yeah, that was an absolutely crazy thing. And it has set me up to do everything else that I do in my life. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful for it. And really, once again, just can't expect that that, you know, 
level of anything will ever happen to me again. I mean, I kind of um, kind of guessed it, but did what you made through Modern Baseball that that built the metal shop, did it? Yeah, entirely. And even to this day, because to, to be entirely honest, like the way the metal shop has gone through many phases, you know, phases where I've tried desperately to make it like a legitimate, you know, business um, that I can live off of. And, you know, trying to make ourselves professional because that's what you're supposed to do. And um, times where it was simply just the modern baseball practice space where Ian and Jake made records when they were home from tour. And, you know, now what it's really morphed into is it is like kind of the Solder Beach Dog practice space and home studio that we also, you know, when we're not doing that, um, you know, usually making records for other people. And so now really our only goal, we're, we're incredibly for, I mean, we've always been incredibly fortunate. Like I t- said, you know, the modern baseball really started and took off when we were 19 years old. Um, but even to this day, you know, that's still kind of the money that I live off of, which is great because that means that I mean that and Slaughter Beach Dog combined. So now, you know, with this studio, every cent that I make can go towards making the rent. So it's way easier for us to make the rent. It's way easier for us to make the, you know, to make bills happen. And we have this, you know, space that we love creating out of. And who knows how sustainable that is, because just like, you know, anything nothing nothing good lasts so it's really a fortunate position that i gotta you know be thankful for and be prepared to you know figure something else out when it's no longer that way but for now (laughs) it's beautiful i mean i i think you can draw you know quite a few parallels between being a producer with a with a space and you know, trying to get work, trying to trying to make yeah. some records for people you may know, people you may not know, and also being a band. You know, trying to get gigs, trying to go on tour, trying to build the fucking thing. Yeah. Do you feel like you've got some kind of expertise? <laughs> I mean, the only <laughs> the only advice that I really follow is just just do it. You know, just whatever it is you got to get done, you're gonna you, you got to get done. And it is funny because that is all that is my struggle always is like, you know, if I took the studio really seriously, I think because of all the legs up that I that I have, I could really, you know, make something successful out of it. And then we also have Slaughter Beach Dog, which is something else that's going incredibly well. And, you know, I also love being on tour. I love playing music especially with this group of people. And so it is, you know, it, it neither thing is easy to plan around. You know, they don't, the schedules, you know, I, I don't know if you remember when we did um, Posse, uh, <laughs> I got home from tour, I think a day or two before we started. And then we tracked for three days and then I left you with Joe for the last four I remember. Um, because yeah. I, I had to go off to tour again. Yeah, we dropped you off. We gave like we were in the car, like in the back, like kids, whilst like someone yep. gave us all a ride to this big CVS car park. Yep. And you got in one. And we don't have these in England, right? We don't know. Ha- I haven't seen one anyway. Where no. you have these giant what do you call them band trucks it's a it's a bandwagon and what it is is essentially it looks like a motorhead logo dude, from the front it's, <laughs> it's it's a crazy thing so basically uh this company i think they used to be a bus company or something but they decided to make the most budget conscious vehicle that you could live in um and go on tour in that they could and it is a lot cheaper and to the ounce into the inch it is just small enough that the driver doesn't need a commercial license which honestly is terrifying and (laughs) 
definitely should need a commercial license to drive that thing. And uh, the reality of what it is, is you live in a box truck and it, it's, it's incredibly nice to ha- it. Like, I mean, it's, it, it, it's insane to have your own bed, basically, it, you know, your bunk is your own place that you could go to whenever you want. It's your own space, which as you know, you never get on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, really valuable. But you also wake up five, six times in the middle of the night thinking, I can't see out right now. I can't see out a window right now. I could die. I might be dying at this moment. And basically, you just get stoned enough that you try to sleep through the night as best as you can. (laughs) They're practically designed for warp tour, aren't they? I think that was the first time I became aware of it. I I, I think so, because we, we've gone on tour in the summer, and I know we had to reserve it extra early because they normally get booked out for Warp Tour. We did this European tour once with, with Broadway Calls and Narwhals, and we had this van where, like, the sleeping bunk was above the loading bit at the back. Oh, but yeah. But not only that, but there was a massive trailer attached. There were three bands in this one van and trailer. Oh and you just God. get into this bunk, and it's like, I don't know, a foot and a half tall. So even getting into the thing is bad enough. You get in there and it's pitch black and it's snowing down the autobahn. Yeah. <laughs> you know when you're in that spot, you know that like anything happens, you 100% will die. But you just you just surrender to it, you know, whatever. It's like taking off in an airplane yeah. where you're like, well, can't do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's awful. I mean, do you still, um, I mean, like, I, I mean, you know, you said it earlier and, you know, I don't want to be rude or blunt or something, but you still rely on money, um, taking home money from Slaughter Beach Dog tours then? Yeah, I mean, we we have, you know, we are incredibly fortunate enough that like, you know, I, I, I don't, between that and Modern Baseball, I don't, you know, Modern Baseball residuals or whatever, uh, I don't need another job. I, I can make engineering and producing my job even though i don't actually make any money from it so (laughs) it's liberating (laughs) and once again modern baseball definitely gave us a leg up for the slaughter beach dog for slaughter beach dog to be you know in a position like that right off the bat which you know i had i'm incredibly grateful for but also you know it it things every time we come to a city there's more people there um and people buying records and stuff which is incredible. I mean, it's kind of cliche to just like, you know, to to think about how much that stuff affects you, I guess, but or to, you know, talk about it at least. But it's it's really true how, you know, fortunate we are to have that and to have people listening in the first place. I think that's the from, you know, from my perspective, that's the awesome thing about Slaughter Beach Dog is that the records are great. And it does kind of feel, you know, it it doesn't feel like a modern baseball side project. You know, it yeah. feels like its own thing that's taken its own path. And maybe you're going to have to work for twice the amount, twice the, you know, <laughs> twice the amount of time to to you know for those ticket stubs. You know, yeah. But it kind of suits that music as well because I don't know if this is lazy of me, but it's so Wilco, <laughs> and we all know the Wilco story. Yeah, I mean, that, so we honestly discovered Wilco maybe three years ago. Like we knew of them, we had heard them before, but I don't know if this is true for you, but for most people I know, it's like you hear Wilco and you're like, yeah, fine, whatever. Everybody loves Wilco. This is kind of good, but, you know, something about me bothers it. And then just something, something, a, a, a switch flips and you're just like, holy shit, they're so on top of this they're they're just they're so good at what they do and they obviously care so much and you know then i start learning about the loft and everything and realize oh well that's exactly what we're doing too kind of (laughs) right right i didn't even think about that yeah 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 so you're not wrong I think they're my most debated about band when I'm at friends' houses. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I talk get about it. you know why if you like them, do you like you know you know it's like and like Jeff Tweedy is is so brilliant. Although I did start reading his um, autobiography and I and it was it, it was boring. You know, <laughs> you know it was he's it, it an interesting guy. You know, I love his voice and the way he makes records is amazing. And and you you are so right. You know, I never thought about it like that. You know, it just 
it takes that switch, doesn't it? And you're like, holy fucking shit, this is genius. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of the same thing with the replacements too. Yeah, definitely. Because you like, so I think Stink was the first thing I heard and like kids don't follow <laughs> is the one and there's, and there's like the, co- it's, isn't it amazing? And you're like, you're like, whoa, yeah. are those real police officers telling those people to get out? You're like, this is awesome. <laughs> and then you hear Tim and, and you know, like bastards of young, obviously whatever, but it's like, you know, you listen to, to Tim and you're like, okay, I think this is going to take me a few goes. And then, I mean, for me, 10 years later, I'm finding new things about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's, it's wild to like, I, it took me to absolutely fall in love with them the way that I have, where, you know, I absolutely love that band through and through, and they're one of my favorite bands now, but it took probably six years of, no, actually more, because, yeah, I I started listening to Stink and uh, Sorry Ma back in, you know, high school, so, you know, a good, like, 10 years ago, Um, and then from there, you know, listening to Let It Be for the first time and being like, yeah, okay. And then uh, Eric got obsessed with them and started listening to Tim all the time. And I was like, yeah, this record's cool. And then I saw them twice and I got to see both sides of them. One of them was um, at Riot Fest. It was their second show back or whatever. And they were just professional as hell, which wasn't what I was expecting, but I was like, oh, cool. So they've like, you know, They've grown up. They're taking it seriously. I mean, they've got studio musicians. They had Josh Fries on drums and somebody else um, on guitar. But um, then, you know, I saw them again with Super Chunk in Philly, and it was totally different. I mean, at one point, half the band played one song while half a band played another song. And then they did not go back. One of them was Androgynous. And then I can't remember what the other one was. It might have been Waitress in the Sky. They literally just <laughs> fucked around. Wow. How many years after was was that from the Riot Fest comeback thing? Uh, honestly, it might have only been like one or two years. I think it was one or two years. Not long. Not long. I saw them at one of the London ones. I think it was the... Um they played here in Paris. So they played in Paris and then they did two, two London shows. And I think... I think those are the last ones or there was one after but Paul Westerberg had like written like a like decoded like a or sorry coded a, a message you know having a different letter on his shirt that spelt out whatever yeah. said you know see you later thanks for the shoes or whatever it was uh-huh. and it's and it sounded great they were so good and Tommy Stinson I was like wow I feel like this guy should be awful but it's not <laughs> yeah he's great have you read the book I have not yet um I I have plans to borrow it from Eric whenever I have like a long list right now because I go through phases yeah. where it's like I'm reading a ton of books and then I'm just like not. Um, and right now I'm really backed up in the queue. But that is one of the next ones that I want to read. I got to read the Beastie Boys book. I actually the the Jeff Tweedy books, the next one on the table for me, too. And uh, I also the Keith Richards book Life. Nice. Nice. Well, I hope I haven't done the Jeff Tweedy book a disservice by saying it was boring. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure there's, you know, the thing that I've realized, because I love these kind, I love the autobiographies, um, just the same way that I love listening to interviews with all of my favorite creative people of all sorts. Um, it No matter whether you like them or not, no matter whether you agree with them or not, you always take away something important even if it's just like you know they do all of these things terribly but you know that thing they do is kind of cool even like i was reading an interview with mike love who i you know can't stand i love the beach boys but i like everybody else cannot stand mike love um but just hearing him talk about how he meditates every morning it was like that's inspiring and that makes me want to meditate I don't want to take anything else away from this guy because he's a fucking asshole. But (laughs) that's one little piece of information that I can, you know, use. I think it's it's such a um, it's such like the the wrong of privilege now that we we can, Mm -hmm. you know, turn down something so quickly. You know, I was reading that thing about 
forgetting who was an interview with it, but it, it, I forget who it was. It was an interview with, but it was like you know, if you go out and buy a CD for twelve quid, which would be fifteen dollars for you, you know, mm-hmm. when we were fifteen, yeah, you know, or thirteen, you would sit with it until you liked it. Yeah, it's true. I, I honestly, I, I did that a lot, and those are the records that you end up loving. Yeah, I, I, I waited for a long time. I, I had been very excited for Spotify to come to the U S for like three or four years. I was, that was like all I wanted because as a music head, you know, you're just constantly trying to discover more and more. Um, and I was scared out of downloading things online by my parents. Cause, uh, my parents are actually both lawyers and my dad had me terrified that if I got caught, they would both lose their jobs and then we would oh. be homeless. Um, wow. So wow. I never got on that train. Uh, yeah, so I was no always, you know, when I had no money growing up, I would take whatever money that I had because I didn't have a, a job. Like I would go to the record store and I would go to the UCD bin and then I would buy whatever was cheapest from the bands that I had heard about that I wanted to check out. <laughs> and um, I remember one of the records specifically that got me that way that to this day, I still absolutely love is um, the Mars Volta's Bedlam and Goliath. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, and, was, uh, that was too heavy for me. That was too much. Well, that was my introduction to the band. Cause I had just heard of them. I think I had heard one song that I liked that was off Francis the Mute. Um, And I put it on and was just like, I am so uncomfortable. I'm turning this off. (laughs) (laughs) And then six, seven months later, I put it on again and said, still no. But there was a determination in me. And finally, like it took kind of two years of that. And then I finally put it on was like, dude, this is genius. I love this. (laughs) And then I went out and bought other records and got super into the band. And it's that way with so many other bands that I don't think I would have really given the time of day with now. And I, once there, once I did start, you know, then I did a little bit of like media fire and stuff when I finally left home and um, I had Spotify and between those two things, you know, I started to, expand my knowledge so much of all this music but i found that i would listen to a record once and then feel like i'd listen to it and just be on to the next thing so i had to make a very conscious effort that took a few years to get myself in the habit of where if i like something i'm just going to keep listening to it i i sometimes wonder like you know we're we're i guess punk rockers perhaps or like yeah you know i wonder if that you know, the kid that gave me the rancid self-titled, or I think it was Let's Go, actually, you know, if that kid, instead of giving me like a Trivium CD, yeah. I'd be just well into metal right now. <laughs> I think that's true for anyone. Yeah, I I mean, in some ways, but also, you know, I think the energy and the attitude that comes out of punk also I, I mean, I can't really speak for you, Giles, but I know you well enough to know that you probably would have gravitated towards it at some point. Um, and I that's what happened to me, because like, I mean, you you say that about Trivium. I was obsessed with Tool in high school. Oh, great. But at the same time, you know, I was obsessed with Minor Threat and, you know, Black Flag. So it, it, it is funny. Uh you know, it, it, music is music and you gravitate towards what resonates with you. Um, with the Internet, there's so much available that you can literally consume everything. <laughs> but mm. it is more meaningful when something when someone gives you something personally and that can change your life. Growing up and, and you know, dumpster diving into the into the well, diving into the budget bin. <laughs> How keen were you on trying to get a job to do with music? Had you thought about that at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be like I was interested in create creativity. Um, it, it started with music 
my my parents first gave me like Beatles records and bought me Beatles CDs when I was like five years old and I became obsessed with them. And then I wanted to start playing music. So my parents, you know, got me piano lessons like first grade. That didn't really like I did it for five years, but then I, you know, started playing guitar and I put piano away for 10 years and don't really have much of it anymore. But, um, I, you know, from that moment that I first started playing piano, I felt like that was kind of my identity. And then somewhere around like 12 to 14, I got super into video. And now all of a sudden I was super inspired and I was like, okay, I want to be a film director where before I, it's funny now, but um, basically since I was like 10, all I wanted to do was own a recording studio. Um, Wow. (laughs) And, you know, here I am. And with video, all it took was one terrible video teacher who made me feel awful about it to make me go, okay, maybe video is not right for me, but I I still love music. I'm going to keep pursuing this. And I never thought that I would be, you know, like playing in any sort of successful way. Cause I, I, I've been playing, you know, guitar and bass since I was like 10. Um, but I was incredibly antisocial and a huge introvert. And I didn't know anybody else in school who listened to the same things that I did until, you know, maybe like the year before I graduated, um, when I reconnected with some old friends who, you know, had started a band. But um, so I, I, I never thought that I would be playing in a band with other people. My focus was always like, I want to be kind of behind the scenes. I want to, you know, I'm interested in the creation of everything. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you played piano because that sparks in me, like, I mean, obviously you're playing guitar and bass at the same time, but I think, I think the playing piano, you know, it informs your bass playing so much, right? <laughs> I, it, it kind of everything it it's, you know, even though I never pl- like, I don't really play it nearly as much as, you know, any other instrument that I play. I, I, you know, just every once in a while when a thing needs a part, I bust it out and do my best. But the way that I think about music, the way that I think about, you know, harmonies and stuff like that, it all comes from the piano, just the movement of everything. It's that's because that's how I learned notes worked. So I whenever I hear notes, it's very easy to envision it it as keys on a piano that's fascinating that's that that's mind-boggling to me because when you see someone play piano it it looks you know (laughs) undoable oh my god especially the people who are actually good at it like i'm nowhere near that i can play some chords and i know what those notes are and you know what those chords are but yeah (laughs) the people who could put feeling into it it's like dancing isn't it oh my god yeah it makes you want to dance too because you got you got percussion elements, you've got melody, you've got harmony, you have everything in a piano. You don't need anything else, do you, really? You really you honestly don't. It takes up the full spectrum. Obviously, yeah, you you know, you can play other things with it too and it sounds wonderful, but it it covers pretty much all the bases and I kick myself every day for you know, putting it away and not keeping up with it. Everyone says that. <laughs> Everyone says that about piano, don't it's they? It's true. It's true. We're, we're jumping around here, but fuck it, this is my podcast. <laughs> when you went to uni or when you went to college, um, was it yeah. Temple in Philly? Or was it the other one? It was Drexel. Drexel. Yeah. When you, when you started there, were you... Um, had you i mean obviously modern baseball had yet to start you were unaware that this thing was going to take you on a ride did you have plans of kind of what you were going to do for work in the summer so <laughs> yeah it, it's funny I, I i mean as far as what i was going to do for work in the summer i did not know because to be entirely honest i grew up you know pretty privileged and knowing it and being, you know, my, my parents made sure that I knew that I was and knew, and I was grateful for it, um, that I didn't need to get a job in high school. And, 
then, you know, reality kind of hit um, after my first year in Drexel, where it's like, oh, shit, I've got $8. You know, luckily, I'm still fortunate enough to have, you know, my parents' house that I can stay in and my parents' food that I can eat. So really, I can live, but I can't do anything that I want to do. You know, I, I actually had to miss the first modern baseball tour and Ben still played bass. Um, one, because, you know, then we didn't have to cram an extra person into the van when there were only seven seats. So we would have had eight people in there. But two, I needed money. <laughs> so I had to go home and I found a job working at uh, a, uh, what's it called? Uh, a, a warehouse for you know, school books, basically. It was fucking boring. Like, especially when I was watching all my friends, you know, they're going out on their first tour, you know, which was like five days. I even went to like one or two of the shows, um, but I didn't get to play, even though I was just starting to play with this band. And like, I didn't get to hang out, you know, the way that they did. And then even like, uh, you know, like shows that were happening in Philly, I, I had to miss out on because I was in New Jersey working on working at this um, warehouse, whatever. And uh, but all in all, you, you know, I got paid shit. I got paid minimum wage for sure. And I remember like I I even had like a, a talking to about, you know, coming in too tired because I would like stay up all night. And I was like. I'm doing my job like what what's up with like how are you able to you know criticize me for this but all in all you know it could have been worse you know I wasn't really put in harm's way and it wasn't all that difficult it was just boring as all hell yeah. and it was just it was a job going back to your hometown after your first semester of uni must have been pretty hard yeah I mean I I grew up in New Jersey and I can say that I do not like New Jersey. <laughs> so that aspect of it wasn't so great either. So you must have remembered when Modern Baseball first came back from tour with money. That first tour, they came back in the in you know, in the black, I guess is the term. Um it wasn't it wasn't much, but you know, they went out for 5 days and after gas was paid for you know, they had a hundred bucks and, you know, for that being your first tour, that's, that's good. Pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, from there it only went up and up and up. Yeah. I mean that with, with, with that money intake, there must've been responsibility to, it gets, I mean, it gets to a point where you can't just like keep the cash in the fucking, you know, glove compartment anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's also kind of where, you know, Eric came in because, you know, from the beginning, we had a manager, which is really funny now thinking about, you know, we were a DIY band with a manager from day one. <laughs> but he was your best friend. And, and that's why I think exactly it's, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something to look it's, up to, really. It's really funny. <laughs> and I mean, it kickstarted him a whole career in, you know managing other bands and stuff now. Now he's managing Sydney Gish and he manages Slaughter Beach Dog too, as well as still, you know, handling all the MOBO stuff that, you know, so we don't have to hear about it. <laughs> how how do you guys feel about like, if, if you're like out for a few beers, if if someone brings up, brings up modern baseball, are you a bit like, oh, shut up? In, it, in some ways, I mean... It's funny because, yes, a lot of the time, and I don't really know why other than I just, like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what, what to talk about it. You're not going to tell me anything that I don't know already, and I don't know what I can, you know, help you with. But, um, yeah, it's one of those funny things. I think when you become a part of something, you don't, it, when you're hype on it, you really want to talk about it. And when you're not, even if it's just like, yeah, it's cool. You don't really want to talk about it. I completely understand. But I can completely understand. Yeah. It can kind of be the best thing and the worst thing in my experience. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's really cool. But also when it happened to the max, like at Modern Baseball's height, it was entirely insane just like walking down the street and somebody would notice me mm. and would come over and say hi. And, you know, it was on, honestly usually better when they wanted to talk. But, like, 
it, I don't know. It was a weird thing. I'm not the kind of person that loves attention like that. Um, so it, it was tough to wrangle with on that side too, and made it almost a little bit of like an, like I was embarrassed a little bit, which I never understand and still don't. Um, I get it making me uncomfortable, but, um, yeah, I think there's still just weird embarrassment about being a part of something that went really well. And especially after, you know, making it go away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I guess I'm not trying to be some kind of therapist here, but like you couldn't have, <laughs> you couldn't have even controlled it anyway. Totally. I mean, it that's that's entirely true. You just can't. You feel what you feel. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's been so amazing. Like, you know, I'm definitely not the only one I've, I've spoken to with some, you know, spoken to a lot of friends about it, how it's, it's such a brilliant journey to see you and Jake doing Slaughter Beach Thank Dog. You. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's like a book, I would say, you know what I mean? It's like a next Thank chapter. You. And I know that's such a stereotypical yeah. thing to say, but um, Jake's lyrics and the turns of phrases and, you know, it, it being something that, you know, it clicks, you know what I mean? It clicks. And and Jake's lyrics are amazing and, and hearing you play music together is wicked. <laughs> Thank um, you, Giles. And it sounds great as well. Yeah, you want to know a secret? Go on. Jake did it all himself because we're all quarantined. We can't get together. So he did a, he did an excellent job. I think it, was, it definitely, you know, humbled me to hear that and go, wow, yep, <laughs> this guy can do it all on his own. So people who are going to want to record at the metal shop when you think about projects that you want to work on in the future, what kind of, what are the elements of the things that excite you most? I mean, the thing that excites me the most is when somebody else is excited about what they're doing, you know, like the, it, when somebody else is as excited about the creative process as I am, that is the most, you know, fun and beautiful thing to me making a record. Cause I think that's really what makes records good is well you know it's not going to be good if you don't care and uh then it also there's just that it factor that some records have and some don't but i don't know it drive just you know people loving what they're doing that's I feel like I'm babbling like an idiot. No, I know. I completely understand because I actually think like, I think of, um, you know, records that I've made that I'm like, why, what, why did that record have that particular feeling? Like what, what is it that made it? You know, I'm not sure. And I think, you know, you, when you walk into a studio, you, it, whether you want to admit it or not, you kind of want things just right because you want to make that record. Yeah. That's so special in a way that you can't really understand, but you don't know how to do that. You know? Yeah, I I mean, it's entirely true. And I, I don't know if it's been uh, apparent to people listening, uh, but I actually have pretty strong ADHD. But what I've found to be uh, a strength of the ADHD is that I do have this ability to hyper focus on something when I want to, when I'm really into it. If I'm not into it, I cannot focus. But, um, you know, I can kind of, I feel like I, I have this mode that I go into where it's like, I can see everything about this one thing um, and really just hone in on it. Um, and that's fun. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, at least, you know, presumably when, when you got something good, you'll know it, right? Because you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Ian, thanks so much for chatting to me about this. Yeah, absolutely. I realize it's a podcast about part-time jobs, but I, what I have realized is that it's, it's about, it's a wider discussion about everyone's journey. And that's what makes life beautiful. <laughs> life is beautiful. I mean, it's just life is beautiful. It can be really tough to remember that. And it can be really tough to see it at, at times, especially at a time like right now, when it seems like the world's just so fucked beyond repair. But uh you just have to remember that, I mean, we got to work for it, but it, it's also just a wave that's passing. And once again, you know, there will be a time again when you can look at the world and realize life is beautiful. Yeah. And sometimes you got to wait for it. Sometimes you got to wait for that, you know, and, and so much of the time it's actually come, comes from somewhere. Your, your bad feelings come from somewhere inside of you, but so do your good feelings. Yeah. You know, actually, I, 
I'll, I'll say this because I think that it could be really helpful for a lot of people too. But, um, you know, uh, about a month or two ago, we had the Solder Beach Dog van stolen. And then maybe less than two weeks later, I had the catalytic converter stolen off of my car, which was incredibly expensive to repair. And in that moment, I was feeling, you know, like I was struggling super hard because it's like, well, why did these people do it? This is an incredibly desperate time for a lot of people. You know, I just kind of have to hold the feeling of like, you know, I'm upset with this and also hold this feeling of, I hope they got what they needed. Um, But that was incredibly stressful and it became too much, you know, just too much feeling. And I was starting to slip into a depression and my therapist gave me this, you know, uh, I guess it's a metaphor um, where we're all just looking for the next breadcrumb in the trail and you never know what it will be and you never know when it's going to come, but you know, there's going to be another breadcrumb. So you just have to keep your eyes open for it. What lovely advice to end on there. Thank you to Ian for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to it. If you haven't already thought about what voice note you're going to leave to a friend recommending 101 part-time jobs, then I highly recommend you get on that if you want to be on a future show. Again, could go horribly wrong. Let's find out. Cheers again for listening. Wherever you're listening to your podcast, please go ahead and rate and review it. For every review to give to this show, you'll find a lotus biscuit on your pillow. This episode was edited by Sophie Porter. Cheers, Sophie. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate Every blink minute I've been on the go This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.